What you're about to listen to may include some potty talk. Then again, it may not. I hope it does, though. It's Tuesday, October 15th, 2019. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. Oh, so the Democrats are having a debate. Oh, sorry. Wait. Apparently, that tone of voice will not compel Americans to watch. CNN. Debate. Arguments. References to record players. The CNN and New York Times Democratic presidential debate. Biden, Warren, Sanders, Buttigieg, Harris, Yang, Booker, O'Rourke, Steyer, Klobuchar, Gabbard, Castro. 12 candidates, one stage. October 15th at 8, live on CNN. Now just admit, all right, when they were throwing the names at you, if they had snuck like an O'Malley in there, you wouldn't have noticed, right? Young, Klobuchar, Covington, Steyer, Tolliver, Wiggins. Right now I'm just naming random members of the Minnesota Timberwolves, but you'd have bought it, right? So many people coming to you fast, coming to you growly, so growly. And of course, they do this statement. 12 candidates, one stage. That is the fundamental requirement of a debate night, is it not? One stage, working microphones, lights that plug in and illuminate with Steyer, Klobuchar, Ricky Rubio. But because of last Thursday's debate, I thought that we needed to highlight that claim. Let me refresh you about what CNN said about the LGBT forum that the Democrats held last Thursday. Nine candidates, one night, one stage. Hear that? Hear that? One stage. So that was a CNN promo talking about one stage. But what happened, if you saw it, is, yeah, there was one stage, single platform, but the stage was visited by a consecutive stream of Democrats, not all the Democrats at once. I demand an apology or at least some clarification from CNN or I'll never be able to trust them, which were a phrase that encapsulated the falsity of the news endeavor they were involved with. I'd like them to just say about promoting this debate, something like Steyer, Klobuchar, Garnett, Yang, one stage, but this time it's concurrent. Unless the one stage thing is just some sort of reference to cancer. No, no. That's not in reference to the people who want to get into the White House, but in reference to the state of the current occupant therein. Donald Trump is not doing a good job, which will be the subject of our spiel. You have that to look forward to. Donald Trump, substandard. We now have the diagnosis. But my main reaction is, let us first lance the boil. Let's biopsy it later. Sorry, kind of an insult to boils, I know. But first... Shea Serrano writes about basketball and other things for The Ringer, but he also writes and talks about culture. Those are some of the other things. So what I'm saying is those other things have lately overwhelmed Shea's output. Those other things have, which is actually a good thing. If you read Shea's new book, which can be purchased in a store as a, a thing, a physical thing, or it could be perhaps downloaded from the Internet of Things or listened to as an audio book, which is a whole nother thing. What I'm getting at is the name of the book, Movies and other things, and Shea Serrano is up next. Shea Serrano is a culture critic, a sports writer, and other things. His last book, <laughs> Basketball, yeah, he saw what I did there. Bas- basketball and Other Things was a huge bestseller. Shea is known for covering basketball these days for The Ringer. He does it extremely well. He's been on this show to talk, actually, about basketball, but also about his podcast about villains 
And on that tip is the new book, Movies and Other Things, a collection of questions asked, answered, illustrated. Shay, thanks for coming back on. What up? Bye. Yeah. So was the idea, did the idea come from, let's just do what we did for basketball for movies, or was there something else driving it? That's what it was. The yeah. basketball book came out. It, it did well enough that the publishers were asking for another book. And uh, I really liked the setup of the basketball book. I like that it's like a bunch of little, it's it's individual chapters that are sort of sewn together with like a connective tissue. Mm-hmm. But really, you can read it in any order you want. And doing it that way, number one, it's like a sneaky trick that absolves you from having to cover all of the history of everything. Right. But number two, it allows you to like, Pick out the stuff that you do like and really lean into it, which is my favorite thing in the world to do. Pick one little thing and just write about one tiny piece of a movie for 3,000 words. Right. It doesn't claim to be the authoritative anything except the the authoritative reflection of what Shay's passions are on this individual subject. That's a good way to describe it. Right. It's better than I did. So, for instance, I saw Armageddon once or twice and I... Maybe the second time was only because it was on and it didn't mean much to me, but right. for you, and you make a passionate case about why Armageddon literally should should have won the best picture it that year. Should have won the best picture that Come year. Come on. Yeah. It's a very touching movie. <laughs> it's a fun movie. You've got like the, a bunch of star characters in it who uh-huh. you, when you go back and watch, you're like, oh my God, we had Ben Affleck, we had Bruce Willis, we had Liv, we had Liv in this, we had Mike, we had like so many characters. We had Steve in there. You've got the, that great. Ben Affleck, Bruce Willis scene at the like. There's no way you watch that and don't get a little teary eyed. If you can watch that scene and not get teary eyed, then you probably should not buy the book because right. the, the book is just about that basically. But 1999, when Armageddon, quote unquote, should have won, Shakespeare in Love won, and that was a big thing. That was the first time the Miramax people showed their muscle or pulled their tricks or used right. their chicanery to beat Saving Private Ryan. But the, some of the other movies that year. Uh, American History X, The Truman Show, There's Something About Mary, and here's the big one, The Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. So if you want to say, okay, Shakespeare in Love shouldn't have won, I'll buy that. But if you leapfrog Armageddon <laughs> over The Big Lebowski, <laughs> you kidding me, Shane? <laughs> Man, I... And I'm not even a huge... I like Fargo better. Like, to me, that's a top five Coen Brothers movie, but right. it's pretty important. Well, see, the, and this is like the... Not necessarily the point of the book, but mm-hmm. it's the fun of the book. That yes. you should read this and you should see that and you should go like, absolutely not. Armageddon, no. What happened to the Big Lebowski? Like, you should send me that. Yes, it's all about- Send me arg- that tweet. It's all about arguments that you could have. The chapters, I'll just read a couple of uh, chapter titles okay. to give people the feel of what they're in for. Who's in the perfect heist movie crew? Ooh, that's a good one. It, pick one. The Social Networker, Get Out. Ooh, even better. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, do you want to read an essay about Friday? <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> What's the order of the gangster movie moment fictional draft? And this is a three-parter. Fictional drafts are really important. We got hard on that one. <laughs> yeah. You do, you do a thing where you get every character from a high school movie or most of the one f- ones from the big famous high school movies and you put them in the same high school and you right. figure out what the hierarchy would be. Yeah, I really enjoy doing that sort of stuff. I think that goes back to like when you're a kid. And you watch like an episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel Air, yeah. And Boys to Men shows up on, yeah. It. You know what I'm saying? Or you, or you, 
whatever your favorite. For me, it was uh, it was else. what's happening and the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, Get a so little older. Yeah. Something like that happens, yeah. and 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 in your brain, you're like, oh my god, the they know each other like this is all the same thing it feels like i really i really like it. that's why the marvel movies are so much fun like the when they first started mixing them together right and you're like oh my god the avengers movie is incredible because we've got all these different things going on um but yeah and the, so so let's like let's do that with all the high school movie characters and high school is largely based on like social interaction mm-hmm. so the chapter is going to be based on that we're just going to put them all together and see how do they get along and that's sort of fun to play with now where do the girls from book smart fall in that high school hierarchy is she is molly still president of the class if regina george is the queen bee yeah because those are two separate things Mm -hmm. regina george was not interested in that she wanted the royalty you know what i'm saying yes um the reason booksmart is so interesting we lay out like a bunch of we lay out the template for the characters you often find in these movies The, the nerdy guy the the jock the smart girl the like pretty girl whatever you have the ones that have that were like these are the characters you need. And then Booksmart shows up and it's like the evolution of like the, the Tracy Flick character. And like, there's this new thing now. And from here going forward, that character will be in the movies. And that, that was like, as soon as I watched the movie, I said, oh, this is going to, this movie will live for a long time. But I know the lead time on a book. So that movie came out, what, like a week before you had to close on the book? This is the most recent. You went big on this movie, Booksmart, yeah. which the critics liked, which the public <laughs> was a little less enthusiastic uh-huh. than the critics. And how long had that been out from the time you saw it to writing it in the book? This is the, the story with that. The book was done. It was yeah. 100% finished. I had turned it in. I sent it to my editor, Sean. I'm like, Sean, we're done. Congratulations. Don't email me again for six weeks or whatever. Like, you know, doing this whole thing. And Laramie and I, my wife and I, we decided we we're going to go on a little vacation. Let's get out of the, let's get out of the city. We're going to go, you know, go have some fun. The city of San Antonio. And then on the way out of town, we stop and I was like, I, wa- I really want to watch Booksmart. This is not going to be a movie that's in a lot of theaters or for a long time. Yeah. So let's go see it before we leave. We went, we watched it. You sit in the theater, you watch this movie. It's so funny and it's so smart and it's so clever. And just an obviously important movie that's going to not do great in the movie theater, but it's going to have a long second life. So as soon as we get out of the theater, I'm like, shit, I need to email Sean right now. And I email Sean and I'm like, Sean, I just watched this movie and I, we need to put this, this book chapter in here. I need to delete something from there uh-huh. and replace it. And we're going back and forth. And he was like, all right, if you can get it to me by Sunday... We'll put it in there. So poor Laramie. I'm like, can you drive to Corpus? She's driving and I'm typing in the car. We get down there. We just are in the hotel room. typed it in the car. All Saturday, (laughs) all Sunday. We don't go anywhere. And we got it done. Arturo got the the art drawn. We like kicked the chapter out and we're like, slide this one in. It fits perfect. It was like a thing that was meant to happen, it feels like. So when we're talking a couple days ago, Scorsese criticized Marvel movies, comic book movies is not cinema. And- Off the bat, of course, people don't like anyone, any old guy talking in a hoity-toity way about cinema. I kind of think he has a point, though. What do Mm -hmm. you think? No, I disagree. None. None. Here's my my point. Here's my case for it's not cinema. They're fun movies. Let's just acknowledge that maybe there's no definition. They're fun pieces of entertainment. But to me... A genre, what genre are they in? If they're drama, they have to tell us something, some essential truth about the human experience. I don't think they do because of the superpowers inherent in the characters. Oh, you are absolutely wrong here. Mm. That's, what the whole, truth, that's the whole point what of truth, comics 
is to tell you a story about mankind. Like that's literally the point of the comic books. No, I okay. think that I think they might be the point of the comic books, but I've never watched a movie where I've uh, earnestly empathized with the characters because well, you could just do this to get out of that or that to get out of that. Or, you know, if you're Iron Man and if you're so irresponsible, you're going to kill yourself 35 times over. <laughs> I mean, in every one of those movies, you have to take so many leaps of logical faith. And down to this. They have the Ag Avengers fight a horde of whatever the horde is, right? Right. You have Thor, who is literally a god and can kill thousands of people at a time. And then you have Black Widow, who could, you know, ninja kick one or two person at a time. Mm -hmm. And they're all given their little tasks. Give me a break. Thor would just crush everyone, maybe with the Hulk. And then the rest of them could do, I don't know, inventory afterwards. No. It's the same as a basketball team. You got okay. your star. Yeah. You need somebody to post up in the corner. Yeah. When I kick this out to you, you hit this three. I don't I don't need you to score 27 points a game. I need you to score seven points and get two rebounds. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of I just watched a, a documentary about Bill Watterson and the guy who Calvin created and Calvin Hobbs, and Hobbs. Yeah. And he had like this whole big fight about how comic books are viewed as low art and like paintings or whatever are viewed as high art. Yeah. And it just, it, it, that's the same conversation we're having here. Like just because a, a, a person in like a black turtleneck and some horn rim glasses says it's a one thing doesn't mean it has to be that one thing. You go back and you uh, recast or re-evaluate uh, uh, some Academy Awards, but you started in what year? 95. Okay, I went back and there were some horrible ones, but what do you think of this one? <laughs> Best Actor, 1976. Yikes. Okay, Peter Finch wins it for Network okay. over Robert De Niro for Taxi Driver. Okay, yeah. What do you think of that? Um, Would you recast ne it? Network is pretty good, but yeah. But Peter Finch is doing a one bombastic thing. Maybe there's something like under the surface too. But isn't Travis Bickle way more layered? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's easy to see now, but that's a good example of like the way that the Oscars work. You get five years away, and you're like, wow, we really, we really botched yes. that one. I th I was thinking of this as an idea or a chapter for the book. I always had this theory of of actors who always play one type and then someone else comes along and takes all their roles. Yeah. So for a time... Wesley Morris has a thing like this. He calls it market correction. Yeah. Somebody shows up and is like, you're done. Yeah. I'm, I'm the better version That's of that. right. Yeah. That's exactly it. So right. it's market correction. Go ahead. So some that I have... I, and some of these actors are great. They just got a little market corrected. Ving Rhames and Michael Clark Duncan. Okay. They're all up for the same roles. And for a time, you had to go with Ving. There was the only choice was Ving. And then Michael Clark Duncan shows up and at least you have choices. I, th I think those two have different energies though. Uh-huh. Like I, I couldn't... I can't picture Ving in, in like the Green Mile... And no, I, no. Same as I couldn't picture Michael in Baby Boy. Like, you, there's a viciousness that Ving can tap into, and there's a vulnerability that Michael can tap into that is different. It's different things. That's a good one. All right. John Turturro gets replaced by Steve Buscemi. Every part that was going to John Turturro gets offered to Buscemi. He takes half. <sighs> both of those, both of those weird looking Italian guys are, are like very talented dudes. Yes. And some excellent, excellent movies. If I've got a pick though, if I'm casting my movie, uh -huh. um, I need to take Turturro. I think he can, I think he can do a little more. If for no other reason, they can both be like somewhat intimidating, sort of slimy guys, but Turturro. You look at something like what he did in Miller's Crossing when he thinks he's going to die yeah. in the in the forest. Yeah. I don't know if Bushimi could have done that role, but I feel like Totoro could have like sat with the little girl in the empty swimming pool and been like the crazy guy from Con Air. Do you enjoy watching the movies? Oh, do you enjoy watching movies you've seen 10 and 20 years ago 
with your kids through the eyes of your kids and have they are there some movies that appreciate and some movies that depreciate 100 percent. yeah here's a it's a good example this is one of my favorite things to do with the boys that the twins are 12 now yeah so they're able to like articulate why they like or don't like a movie so i like the first movie i let them watch we watched together like you need to see this. It's blood sport. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the one I was like, the, I watched that movie. I remember falling in love immediately with John Claude Van Damme. And I was like, yo, whatever he's doing, I want to do that at all times. So they got, they got old enough. We started, we started watching that. And some of them, they, they like a movie like that. It doesn't require a lot of special effects. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to follow. Uh, Chong Lee comes on and they play the scary music and you're like, Oh, that's, that's the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. He's, that's who he's going to have to fight. They understand the like cheating at the end. Like he put it the thing. They're like so mad that this guy cheated. Yeah, like they get it. It follows a lot of tropes of wrestling. Yeah. I find. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The pieces fit. Yeah. Um, but recently, we 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 watched um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh and, yes, and, and a movie that I loved as a kid because I watched it when I was a kid. Now the six-year-old watched it and loved every part of it. He's like, "This is the greatest thing I've ever seen." I have a tape of my, my kid life. when he was seven watching the movie, just literally saying, "This is the greatest thing I've yeah. ever seen." The, I videotaped him. The older ones, the twins, though, yeah, they do the part where they like come out of the airplane in the in the like raft yes. or whatever. And the, the, oh wait, that was the second one, wasn't yeah. it? Wait, which? Oh, the wasn't Temple of Doom where they? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Temple of Doom. My yeah, bad, yeah. my bad, my bad. That's the one we watched, <laughs> Temple uh-huh. of Doom. But they see that part and they're like, "This is this looks awful." <laughs> like I, ju- Dad, I just watched Endgame and oh, I was supposed yeah. to believe that this is real. The little one though, yeah. he was like, "I w- can we get a raft? Can we jump out of an airplane <laughs> and like s- <laughs> ride down?" Yeah. Do you have thoughts on Hustlers? It's incredible. Yeah, I figured yeah. you'd like it. Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> yeah. She's coming to get the Oscar that she should have got 25 years ago uh-huh. for Selena. Maybe the most important pop culture uh, Latina, Mexican-American that we've ever had when she played her. And she played her as well as she did, like an actual Oscar performance. You watch, if that movie comes out today, no question she's getting mentioned in the Oscars. Right, right. We've no. gotten snootier. No I mean, question. we've gotten less snooty than we used to be. Like powerhouse charismatic roles. I think we're more willing to reward them with an Oscar nomination. So now she's coming yeah. to get it, and I hope she gets it. And if she doesn't get it, I'm setting cars on fire. <laughs> you know what? Uh, this To compliment Booksmart, they did not do something that I... I found a little problematic with Hustlers, one too many slow motion shots of four badasses walking, you know, three or four abreast. I would watch a movie That's, of that. Yeah, they, would, they made it. It's called Hustlers. I, I, it, they do this. We, we can tie it back to Armageddon. They show that same shot. If that shot- Is last, that going to get old? If that Ever? Shot, no, never. Aww. Reservoir Dogs, Armageddon. Yeah, well. Like, you know, do it in a movie for 10 straight minutes and I promise you I will sit there and watch them walk in slow motion for 10 straight minutes. What about the, uh, you know, flick the lighter and the fireball goes off and you walk slowly away toward the screen? Also good. You'll watch that for 10 minutes. I'll, I'll watch it all. Have they ever combined those? Three people walking three abreast <laughs> as the fireball goes in the background. That's got to be, that's in John Wick 4. <laughs> <laughs> Shea Serrano is out with a new book called Movies and Other Things. It has great art. It asks all the right questions. Shay, thanks for coming in. This is a great deal of fun. <laughs> Thank you. And now the spiel. Donald J. Trump. Not good at being president. He's really not. 538's poll of polls has 50.3% of the public supporting impeachment, 43.8% opposed. 
I want to be clear, by poll of polls, we mean poll of Americans because the polls, as in people from Poland, they want to name an airport after the guy. Also, to be extra clear, it's a poll of polls, not a poll of polls, because the Republican legislative version thereof, they're still almost entirely on the Trump train. Despite that, there is for the first time a congressional effort to document and prosecute just how unsuccessful Trump has been and to put an end to it. But we are told, and I do think this is right, that to achieve that aim, we must remain focused. We cannot do anything but focused on removing this clearly overmatched, wantonly reckless man from an unbelievably sensitive position. We have to execute so much care and so much attention. We cannot confuse voters. We cannot overstuff articles of impeachment with a wish list, say, of other very obviously impeachable offenses. We should not do that. For fear of losing the delicate grasp we have on the brakes, we cannot yank too suddenly. We cannot yank too forcefully. And we should not yank if we sense that we're going around a turn that's even gently banked. It's like we've sent in the bomb squad. They have oh so gently lifted the bomb off the ground and slowly, very slowly, they're maneuvering it to a safe place for what we hope is its eventual defusal. But now is not the time to wonder about the wiring. Later, we have unexploded ordnance, people. Here is what I mean. George Conway has written a large piece in The Atlantic really laying out Donald Trump's narcissism, dangerous, malignant narcissism, and how that alone disqualifies him from office. He was on Preet Bharaha's podcast, and I'm going to play you a couple of clips. So perhaps you're wondering if the stress of being an outspoken and eloquent critic of the president while living under the same roof as the president's chief dissembler and enabler has taken a toll on George Conway. Let's see if we can pick up any hint of the weight upon George Conway's shoulder in, I don't know, his manner or affect. Literature ...and use the diagnostic criteria of the DSM, the diagnostic and statistics, the allegations of the complaint, which was confirmed by, admitted by Clinton's co-defendant in the case. Yeah. I haven't heard size that big since Dikembe Mutombo got fitted for a jumpsuit. hi Shaq on with Shaq? No, neither would have helped. Anyway, Conway makes a good case that Trump is a basket case. Or not to be glib, a malignant narcissist. And of course Trump is. But the fascinating thing about this is my reaction upon hearing the case laid out. It wasn't, oh my God, the president is clearly a malignant narcissist. And we really should do something about the president being a malignant narcissist. My case was more like, no, no, not now. They've got him on these charges, tangible charges that could upend his reign. Now is not the time to get into diagnosis of why he's failing. This is no time to contemplate the fundamental mental disorders afflicting the most powerful man in the world. Mental disorders that have been carefully laid out that completely prove that the president is profoundly unwell that is a luxury to consider those we do not have time to indulge in that thank you thank you trump for that by the way this is nothing about the goldwater rule you might remember the goldwater rule section 70 of american psychiatrist association principles of medical ethics says that unethical for psychiatrists to give a professional opinion about a public figure who they haven't examined or 
from whom they have not obtained consent. That's fine. That's good for psychiatrists. It's the difference between ethics and morals, right? It's unethical for a psychiatrist to engage in the diagnosis, but it is ethical for a good journalist to assemble a compelling case that that should be the diagnosis. The Goldwater rule does not change the ontological truth of Trump's nature. It just bars members of one profession from engaging in discussing it. Now, in the past, I have theorized, I have speculated about George Conway's motivations. Maybe, I said, he was waiting for a post-White House life where he and his wife, Kellyanne, could set up a shop for Republicans and they would represent all kinds of Republicans, the pro-Trump and the never-Trump Republicans. But I no longer believe that this is the case. Having heard this interview, having read him extensively, not just in this Atlantic piece, but in op-eds, he really does seem like an aggrieved person, a person of honest conviction, who happens to be married to the very embodiment of his stupefaction. Here's what I mean by stupefaction. I mean, you know, synonyms, bafflement, despair. Listen to Preet reading to George Conway a tweet by George Conway. And you said the following recently, in the last few days, uh, I think on the great platform of Twitter. (laughs) Where else? You said, I just don't get it. Why not just do the right thing? Worst thing that could happen to you is that you have to get a real job, but you'd always be able to say you did the right yeah, thing. Yeah, I, 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 it's one of the mysteries to me about this era. Now, I, I get there are people who are not in a position to say or do anything there because they're junior or they, you know, they're not in a financial position of comfort, comfort. They're vulnerable in some fashion, but there are people whose livelihoods don't depend on this. There are people, for example, who are no longer running for re-election in Congress. There are people who are independently wealthy. There are people who can just go back to the private sector. And what I don't understand is you've got all these people clearly shifting uncomfortably in their seats when when they're faced with the things that Donald Trump says and does. And I think then George Conway went on to describe an incident with Iowa Senator Joni Ernst. But I really I couldn't even listen to the rest of his answer, because as I was listening to that podcast, I was just shouting to myself in my own mind, George, George, it's in your own house. And then Preet asked him and George just said, I won't discuss my family. And that's fine. That's fine. I believe as a condition of the interview. So my assessment now is this. George Conway is telling the world that Donald Trump is a horror and that he has uncovered the psychological reasons as to why he is a horror. He's also saying that he honestly does not understand the motivations of those who serve to advance the horror. And I believe him. And the proof that he doesn't understand it is that he lives with a chief handmaiden of the horror and he has no answer. I think he honestly just has no answer and is baffled, baffled that his wife joined a cult or maybe he realizes that his wife wasn't who he thought she was. I understand being in a marriage for the sake of young children. It's not always the right choice, but it is a choice a lot of people make and a lot of people in even tougher circumstances than George and Kellyanne Conway. I guess when Trump is out of office, the Conways will divorce or will come clean about perpetuating a ruse, or maybe motivated reasoning will reign. It often does when human psychology is in play. 
It's interesting to contemplate what will one day happen, just so long as we spend no time on it now, nor do we spend time picking over the root causes or the implications or an analysis of the American voter, American electoral system, or media culpability. Because, as I have said, the bomb is ticking. Let us not be diffuse in our task of diffusal. And that's it for today's show. The gist is produced by Daniel Schrader. He sometimes wonders, what if the wolf from Teen Wolf went back to the future to tell himself not to do Teen Wolf 2? Christina DeJosa, another fine Just producer, points out, well, maybe Marty McFly did that, which is why Jason Bateman stars in Teen Wolf 2 and not Michael J. Fox. The Gist, I'd like to note that in Teen Wolf, a fox played a wolf who played for the beavers who played the dragons in every game. That's not so much a movie as it is one of those other things. Oomperu Deperu Duperu, and thanks for listening.